This is WSKG's Politics Tuesday. I'm Phoebe Taylor-Vuolo. On the final episode of Politics Tuesday, we take a look at what happened on Tuesday. We chat with Republican and Democratic leaders in Broome County about the pivotal role voters here played in several races. We'll also break down the races for New York Governor and Ithaca Mayor. Right now, we are joined by WSKG politics and government reporter Von Golden before he goes back into hibernation. <laughs> and when he comes back in February and sees his shadow, February. we'll have six more weeks of Six more weeks of the legislative session is more like it in February. Six more weeks of budget oh, season. God. Oh, God. Let's not even, let's okay. not even think about it. I, now, 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 great. Now, now you gave me that to look forward oh, to. Boy. Thanks, Phoebe. Well, it's, it's a long way away. Yeah, we, you'll we you'll get time. to stay in your borough for we a little time. while. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Please don't bother me. <laughs> okay, so let's let's go get, get going with this. Start Take us down the line. How did some of these major races we were watching shape out? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, a lot of races we were watching, um, probably statewide, one of the ones that got the most attention was the, the race for governor. Um, and, you know, Kathy Hochul did 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 carry carry the race, carry the state, uh, 53% to Zeldin's, uh, Lee Zeldin's 47%. Um, more locally, the regional ones we were watching, of course, the 19th Congressional District. Uh, Mark Molinaro managed uh, to win that race uh, despite it being – it was a toss-up, but other groups had it kind of leaning to the left. But Molinaro was able to pull off the 19th Congressional District with about 6,000 votes. Uh, a margin of about 6,000 votes, uh, 50, just over 50% of the vote for him. Uh, state Senate races, uh, the Democrat Leah Webb won in the 52nd Senate District. That was that was our locally competitive one. Um, she beat out Rich, Rich David, who uh, had about 48% to Webb's 50% of the vote. Uh, only about 1,400-1,500 votes uh, vote margin in that race. Um, and then further down the ballot, Donna Lupardo, 123rd Assembly District. That's the Tri-Cities, uh, Broome County District. She managed to defend that, ra- that, that district with about 55% of the vote to Sophia Resnetti's uh, 45%. And um, Laura Lewis will um, fill out the term for Ithaca Mayor. She got about 65% of the vote in that race as well. Huh. So uh, the nineteenth district race—that was that was really like the big one in the region, right? What, yeah. Did anything stick out with you from that race? Yeah, I mean, we're still waiting on uh, some more localized data, um, and I'll be, you know, me and all my other political junkie friends will be uh, very interested in kind of the local how the local things played out with that. Um, we we saw Josh Riley, um, the Democrat in that race, uh, though he did lose. Um, he did outperform um, uh, G- Governor Hochul in a, a few different counties, uh, Tompkins County, where he got the vast majority of his support. Um, he, he got 73 percent to Hochul's 72 percent. Not a not a huge um, uh, overperformance uh, compared to Hochul, but um, definitely definitely noticeable, as well as in, in Broome, too. Uh, Riley carried uh, 48%. Hochul carried 43%. Um, and we saw similar similar numbers in Cortland. Um, you know, looking at that race, uh, I, I, I think it ultimately came down to turnout um, and, and where those candidates performed. Uh, Broome turnout was uh, significantly lower than Tompkins County. 
uh, and M- Mark Molinaro carried Broome County um, by uh, with 52 percent of the vote. And uh, Broome, Broome can shift either way to mm-hmm. to um, Democrats or Republicans and being the population center of the district. Um, you know, I think I said it before, but um, the, the key was Binghamton and Broome County. And with uh, with Molinaro carrying it, um, he, he was able to pull ahead and, and keep ahead. Close district, though. I, th- I think this is going to continue being a competitive district uh, in future cycles, for sure. Huh. And and you mentioned that you're going to be looking into some more localized data. Uh, what what specifically are you hoping to dig into? Yeah, um, definitely the cities. Uh, like I said, the city of Binghamton, especially given how how much that the city can flip, um, large amount of independent r- voters registered in the city of Binghamton. I think it's twenty eight percent of the registered voters are are independents. Um, but uh, elsewhere as well, uh, the city of Ithaca, um, Columbia County. Uh, the city of Cortland and Oneonta, those are, you know, kind of the population centers where you would expect Riley to be doing well. Um, and and it looks like, I mean, Riley carried Columbia, he carried Columbia County, Ulster County, and Tompkins County, um, which wasn't much of a surprise, but I'm very curious, uh, within the more uh, the cities in those counties, did he uh, perform well and did he get the turnout needed? I, and you look at Tompkins County, Turnout numbers, um, I'm sorry, I don't have them in front of me, but uh, compared to 2018, the last midterm uh, and gubernatorial year, which was a, a blue wave in 2018, a lot of Democrats made it into the House of Representatives, um, turnout was only seven percentage points lower in Tompkins County than it was in 2018, uh, mm. here in 2020. Um, but it was significantly lower in uh, Broome County. I believe it was somewhere around 17% compared to 2018. So yeah. a lot of you know data for the nerds uh, to consume over <laughs> over the weeks ahead uh, and for, you know, uh, for a little while here. And that, that's the kind of stuff I'm going to look into. But also just a- anecdotes, too. Um, you know, the day after Election Day, I, I actually got a few emails from from folks, from listeners, um, kind of disappointed in, in Riley's loss. Uh, a lot of people who su- had supported Riley um, and many of them wanted to know, you know, what what happened? It, mm-hmm. it was clear the, the bottom didn't fall out. It wasn't uh, an absolute landslide. Molinero did declare on on election night very early in the morning. I think it was probably 1231 in the morning by that, that point. I, I don't know. The whole thing was a blur. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you and I, you it. and I were out there. Yeah, oh, it was, yeah. It was a blur. <laughs> um, but uh, but AP didn't call the race until Wednesday huh. afternoon. Afternoon. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, it wasn't an absolute blowout. Um, but I am going to be really interested to see if there's any data that can suggest you know uh, one thing went wrong or another. Otherwise, I think we're going to pretty much have to rely on some of the anecdotes of um, coming out of that campaign. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. So, uh, you know, on another note, I know the other race that we've been talking about on the podcast for a while has been the 52nd state Senate district race. Uh, I was, you know, over with Leah Webb's campaign team on election night watching the results come in. So I know how it panned out. But uh, why don't you talk us through some of those numbers? Yeah, yeah. So David, um, Rich David, um, actually cleaned up in Broome County. Uh, he ended up with about 60% oh, no. of the vote um, from election night and early voting res- uh, results. Still expecting on uh, most of these results that we're reciting here, we're still expe- expecting some absentees to be counted. 
uh, but uh, probably not enough to to throw any of these races one way or another. Um, so, we, you know, we were I was with the Republicans in in the city of Binghamton watching the results come in, and the, the first thing that drop um, after the polls close are those early voting numbers and absentees that had already been uh, canvassed. So we get those numbers early, and we can kind of get a sense. Um, generally, they they skew a little bit to the left, and um, David only was trailing by a little bit when those numbers came, the early voting numbers came in. So there was some some optimism in uh, the Republican headquarters that uh, David might be able to pull that off. Um, ultimately, Webb did pull ahead. Um, and I think we can, as I kind of mentioned earlier, we can, I think, attribute that to Tompkins County's turnout uh, with margin. The margin in that race was a little bit less than 1,500 votes. Um, and there was, that's, that's, that's the figure, 61% turnout in Tompkins County. Um, and had that turnout dipped, I, I, I was doing the math here, had that turnout dipped by three percentage points, we would have been looking at a rich David victory. That's that's the margin of 1,500 votes is three percentage points in Tompkins County, um, which just goes to show in a, in a state Senate race like that how how much turnout can can be impactful county to county in a district where you have uh, of, of Broome County, Cortland County, and Tompkins County with, with three cities and uh, two of them being fairly large, being Binghamton and, and, and Ithaca, and the amount of population in Broome County. I... I'm a nerd. I know. I'm just going to keep saying that. But these are you. You're what? You're a nerd? No, no. no. Just starting a <laughs> politics podcast. But these are going to be really interesting um, districts to analyze, and really interesting races to pick apart. Um, not just for this cycle, but I think for you know the next what eight, ten years that we have these districts. Well, it sounds like you're not going to be in hibernation for that long after all. I don't know. Okay, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Any other observations you uh, gathered from Election Day? Um, Yeah. You know, the the one weird thing, I I don't know why I found this interesting, but – and all the races we we covered. We covered um, the 19th Congressional District. We covered uh, the state – Senate that 52nd State Senate District – uh, Broome County Sheriff as well. Uh, Fred Akshar did win that race pretty handedly against Kate Newcomb, I should mention. Um, and, and the 123rd Assembly District. Um, nobody called to concede in any of those those races. Um, There's Democrats and Republicans in there who lost, and none of, them, none of them conceded. Some of them were closer than others, but I don't, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. You know, going back to 2020, it was one thing when there was, you know, like a bajillion absentee ballots that had yet right. to be ca- counted. But we, we that process is different now. So we, we didn't have that kind of margin. But I, I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting that people weren't weren't calling to concede. But maybe it doesn't really mean anything. But I mean, I was about <laughs> yeah, to ask you what, what you thought it did mean. Do you think that that could be a trend moving forward? I mean, I, I, I wonder why. I don't I, I really don't know. I'm I'm curious if other you know congressional and state senate races were like that with with similar margins. I I, I you know I, I don't think there's too much to read into there. Right. I, th- I think it was it was also late. It was a lot of those were called fairly late, twelve thirty, one in the morning. So maybe maybe folks just wanted to go to bed. <laughs> and I, I know want, I did. I, I, I was just, just yeah. <laughs> Eventually. We did. Uh, well. I think that's it for us. Uh, I'll hand things over to you, Vaughn. All right. Thank you, Phoebe. And thank you for for all your contributions to the pod. 
I've been honored times. to join you here, <laughs> Mr. Golden. Godspeed. Good luck in your borough. I need it. Broome County went to Republicans in many ways, on uh, in many races on election night. Here to discuss uh, some of those successes and other areas where uh, they might have learned some lessons is Broome County Republican Chairman B. Joy Dana. B. Joy, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. So I guess to start, uh, start positive on your end, uh, where were your uh, big wins on election night as uh, Broome County Republicans? Well, we had a really successful night, uh, obviously. Um, the biggest race locally was the congressional race uh, where Ma- Mark Molinaro, uh, although it was a close race, uh, delivered a win. Uh, and that's going to be one of the seats that I think uh, shift control uh, of Congress to Republicans. Um, beyond that, more at the local level, uh, we had wins uh, really almost across the board with the Broome County Legislature remaining in Republican hands, uh, Fred Akshar handily winning the county sheriff's race. Uh, in the town of Union, which is the largest municipality in Broome County, there were three uh, races, town supervisor and two town council seats. We won all three of those. In the village of Johnson City, there were two trustee seats up. We won both of those. In the village of Endicott, there were two trustee seats. We won both of those. So we had wins you know, at every level, federal, uh, uh, state, county, and uh, town and village. So we're very happy with the results. Got it. And so you mentioned Mark Molinaro, a Republican running in the 19th congressional district. That was a, a big toss-up seat, a, a battleground district. Um, he, he carried, uh, by my quick math, uh, about 51 percent of Broome County. Did, did that surprise you at all, especially considering how much of a um, registration advantage Democrats have in the city of Binghamton and I believe countywide as, as well? Yeah, we're very proud to have delivered uh, uh, as well as we did for Mark. Obviously, that was a, a very contentious race, a lot of advertisement uh, and accusations being hurled by both sides. Um, but we're very proud to have been able to uh, deliver votes for Mark to help, um, you know, deliver that win for him. Uh, and beyond that, you know, if you look at some of the statewide races, Lee Zeldin won Broome County with 56 or 57 percent of the vote. Right. Uh, and although he came up short statewide, we were very happy about that because the last time a Republican gubernatorial candidate won Broome County was 2002 uh, with George Pataki 20 years ago. And beyond Zeldin, the other statewide candidates all won Broome County as well. Again, something that just hasn't happened in a generation. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the margins between, um, you know, Fred Akshar running on the Republican and conservative lines for sheriff. Um, obviously, that's just a countywide race and not one where you've got, you know, $13 million of, of super PAC money uh, of funding ads and whatnot. Um, but he carried about 62 percent of the county, if my math is right here. Um, and compare that to Molinero's 51 percent. Why do you think Akshar performed better than than Molinero in Broome County? Well, the race for sheriff, as you alluded, doesn't have um, quite the level of attention that that a national uh, or nationalized congressional race does. You also, in a race for sheriff, don't have certain social issues, whether it's abortion or, uh, you know, gun control or different things like that that are affecting some of the motivations of voters. You know, sheriff is about keeping the public safe and operating the jail uh, and issues like that. So I think some of those nationalized, more emotional or politicized issues go away. Um, and aside from that, 
Fred Akshar is a known quantity here. Uh, you know, he's been our uh, senator for seven years. So people know him, uh, whereas, you know, both Molinaro and Josh Riley, the Democrat in the congressional race, were lesser known quantities here, not having run here uh, in Broome County before. Right, right. And so I kind of want to circle back to the governor's race, too. You mentioned Zeldin carried, uh, Lee Zeldin carried Broome County. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I also kind of look back at the primary for governor, the Republican primary for governor. Um, and one thing that, that amazed me at the time was how well um, Harry Wilson and some of the other candidates did here. Looking at future governor races down the road, um, what lessons did we learn um, and what ways do you think we, uh, you know, we royal we there, uh, Broome County Republicans can uh, get more votes and, and carry the county in more ways to, to help possibly um, carry a future Republican gubernatorial candidate across the finish line? Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's a little too early to tell. Uh, I haven't seen the election district by election district results uh, yet here in Broome County. But, you know, in the end, ultimately, um, you know, from what I've seen of the gubernatorial race so far, obviously, Zeldin did very, very well upstate, aside from a a few more urban counties, you know, Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo, um, but, you know, for our area to, to go so strongly for him, that shows that he certainly did something right. I know just, you know, anecdotally, whether it was the rally we held last Sunday that you covered uh, or other events we've done with him, the enthusiasm level certainly was higher for his race than, than I recall in the last several gubernatorial races. So we'll have to figure out, you know, as we look ahead four years from now, how to try and translate those successes uh, into even bigger successes next time around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I threw Harry Wilson's name out there. Um, do you think it deals more with the type of candidate you run? You, you We've previously had this conversation. Um, you, you've kind of believe Broome County Republicans tend to lean more moderate, more independent-minded. Um, do you think you need to see a candidate um, that may go that way a little bit more than, than Lee Zeldin um, and, and just his record does? Well, I mean, thinking outside of Broome County, um, I think thinking statewide, you have to look at, uh, at, at moderate candidates. Um, you know, as you just alluded, and as we've talked before in Broome County, you know, successful candidates tend to be moderate because this is a, a Democratic-leaning uh, county uh, by registration, and, and you can't win if you're if you're a hardliner uh, on either side. I don't think, mm-hmm. um, and certainly for New York State, uh, a statewide candidate. Um, it's a very heavily Democratic state. If you're going to win those crossover votes, enough of those crossover votes, um, you know, usually the, mo- the message has to be moderate or there has to be some issue or issues that are, are cutting through to bring uh, Democrats or independents over to vote for a Republican. Um, you know, Zeldin accomplished a lot of that this year, I think, fo- focusing on crime and focusing on uh, the economy and inflation. But uh, unfortunately, obviously, it wasn't enough uh, coming five points short. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to look at another race here, the 52nd State Senate District race between uh, Rich David on the Republican line and Leah Webb on the Democratic line. Uh, it, it looks like uh, we uh, Leah Webb will claim victory in there. There's about a 1,500 vote margin um, across the entire district, which is Broome, uh, Western Broome, Cortland, and uh, Tompkins County. Um, in, in the portion in Broome County, um, it looks like Rich David did carry that with about 59% of the vote. 
Um, what does a future state Senate candidate need to do to grab more of that? And, and do you think in, the, in two years you'll be able to find somebody who can carry more than Rich David, of course, being a, a former mayor of the city of Binghamton and ha- having a lot of name recognition? Well, it's clear, uh, you know, that we have to do better in Tompkins County. Um, Rich David overwhelmingly won Broome County, um, you know, overwhelmingly won Cortland County. But uh, Tompkins County, the Ithaca area, uh, unfortunately, I think we came up uh, at about 28 uh, percent for Rich in that county. And, you know, the, the, the big advantages we had in Broome and, Broome and Cortland weren't enough to overcome that. The bottom line with this seat is it's a very, very heavily Democratic seat. This isn't the seat that Fred Akshar held. This is not the seat that Tom Levis and Warren Anderson held prior. Um, You know, this is a seat that only covers a portion of Broome County and then stretches up into other territories that are far more Democratic than us. Um, So, you know, the silver lining would be that Rich David far outperformed what any Republican could be expected to get in this district. It's overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, but you know, there are no silver medals or second place trophies in politics. So, you know, we came up short and, you know, we have to accept that result. How much of that, I'm, I'm curious, and just because I'm, I'm a political nerd and was looking into this, uh, the the media markets, uh, Syracuse, Cortland and Ithaca and Tompkins counties are in the Syracuse media market and uh, Broome County is, is um, within the, the Binghamton market. So when you place ad buys, it's a different pricing. Did, did, did that deal into strategy at all? Um, I, I, I believe you were involved with some of um, uh, the David campaign's ad buys. Yeah, I mean, it certainly it factors in because, you know, if you have to buy into more markets, you have to spend more money where the old district used to be Binghamton, Broome County centric. Now we have to cross multiple lines. Um, and as you said, uh, you know, that's just going to drive up your costs. So, um, you know, really what it boils down to is it's more expensive when you cut into more media markets. So for us to be successful in this race, we're going to have to be able to uh, be able to afford to do that in future years. Do you think this will continue to be a district that's on Republicans' radars moving forward as yeah, one to pump money ab- into and to be uh, competitive with? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we'll we'll certainly uh, need to hold Leah Webb accountable. Um, you know, some of the priorities that she outlined during her campaign, I don't believe are in line what many voters in this district want. Uh, we'll give her the benefit of the doubt, and I certainly wish her the best. You know, yeah. um, you know, we we want her to hopefully represent our area well. But you know, based on what you know, some of her uh, current Senate colleagues and uh, have have said, and what she has prioritized during her campaign, um, we're going to hold her feet to the fire. And if she does things or makes votes that we don't agree with, we're going to make sure we have a very strong candidate uh, to try and take back that seat in two years. If there's one thing you take away from this election as a lesson learned, we need to improve on this as a as a party in Broome County moving forward. Uh, what is that? I mean, I think it's the same lesson that um, unfortunately we we learn every time, uh, and that's we've got to find ways to hopefully motivate more peripheral voters. And what I mean by peripheral voters is you know those folks who you know, maybe come out in presidential years, but don't come out in gubernatorial years like this year, or those voters who just kind of sporadically come out if they have a particular issue that means something to them, um, but don't always come out. We've got to get them to come out more consistently. Um, You know, we've done very well at that over the years. That's why, um, you know, even though this is a Democratic county, we hold almost every uh, major office and have had such a great success uh, over the 
uh, last decade. Um, but we can always improve and do better. And, um, you know, I, that's what we'll continue to try and do as we head into 2023, 24 and beyond. Got it. And my last question here, I'm going to put you on the spot, admittedly. Um, so New York GOP chairman Nick Langworthy, uh, he won his bid for Congress, meaning uh, the statewide party uh, will likely need a new chair. Is uh, that a role that would interest you? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's flattering to be mentioned, and you're not the first person to ask me that over the last uh, couple of months, and certainly in the last uh, couple of days and couple of hours even. Um, but I don't think that's the right spot for me right now. Um, you know, I'm interested in the, the, the future of the party and want to make sure that, that we're successful uh, heading to future years, but I don't think uh, it's in the cards for me personally. What, what kind of person would you like to see in that role as uh, a statewide GOP chair? Well, it's certainly got to be somebody that can bring people together, somebody, and by that I mean not just Republicans, but bring Democrats and independents to the Republican Party uh, or to Republican candidates. It's got to be someone, uh, you know, any party chair, whether you're a county chair like me or a state chair, you have to be able to raise money. Uh, it's just an order of magnitude when you're the state chair. You have to add zeros to what I have to raise as a county chair. Um, and, you know, you have to be able to recruit good candidates. Uh, you know, I've said um, since I took this role at the county level, my role is to uh, recruit good candidates, run good campaigns and raise enough money to be able to deliver the message. And the same is true for a state chair. So I think that's what I would look for in uh, whomever is going to hold that role in the future. If uh, if uh, uh, Congressman Zeldin threw his hat in the ring, would you uh, get behind him? I certainly would be open to that. Um, I haven't heard, um, you know, whether he's interested in something like that, but I'd certainly be open to having that conversation. Got it. All right. I've been speaking with Broome County Republican Chairman B. Joy Dana. Thank you again. The city of Binghamton and Broome County proved to be a pretty pivotal battleground in several competitive races during Tuesday's elections. Here to discuss how things shaped up is City of Binghamton Democratic Committee Chair Terry Renya. Terry, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. So I have to point out Republicans did manage to carry Broome County in most, if, if not um, all the races around this cycle. But to start on a more positive note um, for Democrats, what went well um, and what silver, silver linings can we, can we take out of Tuesday for Democrats? Well, I think the biggest silver lining is that we have just fabulous representation at the state level. Um, we have a wonderful governor and uh, Assemblywoman Lepardo uh, re- retained her seat. And of course, we have a brand new state senator, Leah Webb, and uh, she is from Binghamton. And I think that's a huge bright spot for all of us. Yeah. And to get into the the nitty gritty a little bit, um, what do you think worked well with Webb's campaign? Um, I have to note, she only did carry about 40 percent of Broome County, um, but did did pull it off on Tuesday. She did. And I think here's what I think is the the most important part about Leah's uh, candidacy and her campaign and ultimately her election and, and her representation of us. And that is that Leah is is dedicated to public service, right? So she uh, took this role on, took this challenge on um, for for people, 
to do what was best for working people and uh, women's rights and working families and people who have traditionally been underrepresented in, in, uh, in, in all of our systems. And I think that that message, I think that the, the grassroots on the ground support from the very people that she wants to represent and help all is what propelled her to the top. And I have every confidence in the world that once in Albany, that is exactly what she'll do is work for working families and working people. Got it. And and of course, this is a new district. Most of these were new districts because of redistricting this year. Um, what what role do you think that played, especially in that state Senate district race? And do you think now that she is the incumbent and two years from now she will have a, a record in the state Senate, um, do you think this race will be as competitive, as close as it was um, in 2024, assuming um, uh, Leah runs again? Um, sure. Well, certainly in terms of the redistricting, it was challenging from the beginning because, you know, for a very long time, even after petition, the petitioning process to get on the ballot and after candidates had begun their campaigning in earnest, you know, the district lines were still changing. Right. So, you know, that presented the redistricting presented a number of challenges for everybody. I think that um, once Leah goes to Albany and uh and stands up for for the Southern Tier, stands up for the 52nd District, I think, uh, and, and, and does what she can to uh, represent people, I think that it probably will be easier once she has a record, once she has shown. I expect that when she runs again, it will, um, it, people will, she'll have a record and people will be, she'll have a lot more people uh, backing her. Now, if I could predict the future, that'd be great, but I can't, but I know from working with her on city council. And I know from watching this campaign that uh, she is going to represent people in a way that will make them want to support her and reelect her. Got it. So two years from now, looking back at this race, um, we, what, what lessons did, did we learn? Um, you know, what uh, what things will you be discussing two years from now as far as approach to um, that kind of campaign, um, especially with, with Leah Webb's campaign moving forward um, to uh, try to uh, widen that margin a little bit? Sure. I, I think the lesson that, you know, that all elected officials can learn, and I think you can learn it from watching other uh, successful uh, representatives who get elected, you know, who get reelected over and over again, people like Assemblywoman Lepardo, I think the lesson that you learn is that if you listen to people, are honest with people, and then go to Albany or go to city council or go to town council uh, and, and do what, what you know your constituents need done, what they've told you they need, they need done, if you go and you keep your word and you represent them honestly, I think that's how you build sustained support. Got it. And uh, we don't don't have some of the more modular, uh, granular, um, super local data at this point. At least I I, I don't. Um, that'll 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 be on my my homework for the, the next few weeks once that comes out. Um, but kind of crunching a little bit of the turnout data countywide that I was able to to dig up. 
Um, I was looking at Broome County, and in in 2018, um, turnout was 65. percent That was a, a of course a blue wave year, um, and and Binghamton and, and Broome County were were in the competitive 22nd district at that time. Um, and based on election night results, uh, we still have some more you know, absentees to come in, so this number may go up a teeny bit. But Broome looks to be at about 48% turnout uh, this cycle around. That's a, a pretty significant drop. Uh, do you have any gist as to why do you think that that was compared to the last uh, midterm election slash governor's election? Yeah, I don't. Um, I can tell you that it it sure felt like we had um, it sure felt like we had a really good turnout. And like you said, we don't have the granular numbers yet. So I don't know if that 48 or 48% that year citing includes early voting, but I can tell you that early voting was pretty steady. I think it was down a little bit. Um, I could tell you day of the polls that I saw um, polling places that I saw were certainly the majority of them were have were experiencing pretty high turnout for a midterm. Um, so I don't know the numbers exactly, but I wouldn't. I don't know what may have caused the drop. Yeah. So you didn't you didn't necessarily kind of feel that um, the day of just from a non data centered point of view, it didn't didn't have that from kind a of strictly feeling. no from a strictly anecdotal not no data to back it up. It didn't feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so I'm not sure. I mean, I can tell you that the turnout rates, you know, in the, the primary this year, the primaries, <laughs> you know, the two, two primaries that we had, um, they were all they were not great. And so I think that, you know, the fact that we even went where we did for the midterm, whether it was, you know, 50 percent or 65 percent, I think is pretty good. What do you have to do in the city to, regardless, whatever the number was this year and during the primaries, what do you need to do in the city to, to drive that turnout and to get it up moving forward? That is the challenge. I mean, like I said, we're, we're talking, you know, in, in 2021, which, of course, wasn't, you know, there weren't any federal races up. Sure. Um, but but in 2021, countywide, we only had a 32% turnout. Mm-hmm. And in some of the off years where we have city elections, whether it's mayor or city council, we see really, you know, pathetically low turnout. And I think that that has got to be um, a, a real focus. And I think it's a real focus of candidates. I mean, you, you ask the things that make the difference, and I think that, you know, one of the things that made the difference with Senator-elect Webb's campaign was a focus on getting out the vote, a focus on sending the message, making sure that the voters were educated about how important their votes are. And, I mean, we try to do that, but I think that that's definitely a place we can improve. You mean that we, as in more, more the county committee, the the city committee, and and or... and candidates for sure. Yes, got it, got it. So, and and kind of to transition a little bit, Josh Riley, the Democrat running in in the nineteenth congressional district, he pulled about forty eight percent of the vote in Broome County. That's with 
early voting and absentee and election night results. Again, we still have some of those absentees that are probably going to come in. Um, Broome is the largest county in the district, and and his his hometown too lives in Ithaca now, but originally from Broome County. How much do you think Broome is kind of responsible that that uh, kind of the small loss, but a loss in Broome is responsible for Riley's overall? figures. And is that anything other than you you just kind of outlined in terms of turnout and some of the other issues facing candidates? Well, you know, I think it's heartbreaking. I think uh, that Josh Riley would have been the best person to represent uh, this district and certainly Broome County. I mean, he knows Broome County. He's from Broome County. Um, and I, I I think it's really sad that um, voters didn't see that. I think certainly increasing turnout is key for any of these races, but I also think that we cannot uh, ignore the uh, the impact of the lies and the negative campaigning um, from the GOP. I think it suppresses vote. I think that's exactly what it's intended to do, and I think it's hap- it happens pretty routinely here in Broome County. And I think it's a huge problem. Um, there were some really, I mean, just blatant lies put out in mailers and in ads. And I think that uh, that really hurts, uh, hurts with turnout, especially because I think people are tired of it and it suppresses the vote, which is exactly what it's meant to do. Yeah. And, you know, this is, of course, there's so much money coming into this race, $13 million as of, uh, I think, when I checked on Sunday. Um, and, you know, even, of course, and, and that $13 million is coming in from, from Democrat-backed groups and Republican-backed groups, too. How, 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 how does a candidate, um, and more so just broadly, you know, some of those Democrat groups uh, who were supporting Riley, how do you cut through, um, you know, lies and misinformation being put out by the other side? Uh, you know, what should their their thinking be? Uh, obviously, they don't always coordinate uh, or at all coordinate with, you know, the city of Binghamton Democratic Committee. <laughs> so <laughs> w- if, if you were speaking to the, the big wigs pulling strings, what would you tell them they need to focus on in 2024? Boy, if I could answer that question, right, wouldn't I be wouldn't I be popular? <laughs> here's, the, here's the here's the situation. Um, you know, the amount of money, if we just sit back, I don't care what political stripe you are, if we all just sit back and take a few minutes and consider what could have been done for constituents, people living in these communities, not just here, all over this country, what could we have done with $13 million? And I think it's a shame. And I think it's, um, I think it's, frankly, it's gross, um, but there's nothing we can do about that, right? I mean, you can't not respond, so you have to raise the money and you have to spend it. And I think that that's a, it's a, a really a much bigger problem that uh, campaign finance is a much bigger problem that needs to be addressed. And I think we need to think about electing folks who, who are going to do something to address that. Sure. From a campaigning point of view, though, if you if somebody came to you and said, Terry, we got to spend six million dollars on this race, which is ballpark what what was spent to support Josh or oppose Mark. 
what would you, you say, okay, this is the message we got to put out with that money, or this is what we got to do with that money, whether it's driving turnout, ground game, things like that? I, I mean, I think messaging is really important, obviously. And, um, but I, I think, you know, I think that, that ground game is always important and um, you have to be able to compete on the messaging end of it, right? So you have to be able to respond to the lies and respond to the attacks. Um, but I also think that it's really important that candidates spend more time focusing on the message. And again, I'm going to go back to, um, to Assemblywoman Lepardo and to Senate, Senator-elect Webb and say, and even to, and, and to some degree to, to Governor Hochul, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, while you know, their main focus, regardless of the attack ads that were put out or the mailers that were shoved into people's mailboxes or whatever it was, their main focus remained on messaging. It remained on telling people why they were the best candidate, what they had done, what they were going to do, and how they were best going to represent constituents. And so I always think that that's the way to go. Got it. All right. I've been speaking with Terry Renia, uh, Binghamton Democratic Committee Chair. Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much. Governor Kathy Hochul has made New York State history by being the first woman ever elected for a full-time term as governor. But while Democrats did ultimately triumph, Republicans, including Hochul's rival, had some of the best performances they've had in years. Here to discuss how things shaped up on Tuesday night in the statewide races in New York is New York Public Radio Capital Bureau Chief Karen DeWitt. Karen, thanks for coming on. Sure thing. So, Karen, take us back uh, before election night, Um, you know, at least from my perspective here in in Broome County, it seemed like there was some anxiety on part of uh, the Democrats, brought out a lot of big names, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Kamala Harris uh, to campaign with them. Did you pick up on the the same vibe? Uh, Pretty much. Yeah, I would say it was more like handpick in the last couple of weeks of the campaign when uh, Lee Zeldin, the Republican challenger congressman from Long Island, seemed to be gaining momentum in the polls and really gaining ground on the issue of uh, fears and concerns about crime that Hochul and the rest of the Democrats really weren't addressing in the same way that Zeldin was. I mean, he, he was taught he was going to sites where crimes had occurred every single day. He was talking about them. A uh, gang-related shooting happened in his front yard, which, you know, who would have would have thought that that would have happened? And it sort of played into his hands, although, you know, it was a terrible incident for his family. His two uh, twin teenage daughters were at home. They were really scared. So that was really resonating. And the Democrats were really worried that the issues that they were focused on, uh, protecting abortion rights and uh, protecting uh, democracy, was just not resonating. So yeah, that's why we saw President Joe Biden came three times in uh, October and early November to New York. I mean, that must be some kind of record. Both of the Clintons, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris came to campaign for Hochul. And uh, yeah, and I think, you know, in the end it worked. 
I think if if Zeldin's momentum momentum had maybe peaked a little later, like a couple of weeks later, like maybe you know around Halloween or November first or second, he might have won because um, the fact that the Democrats picked up on this in late October it gave them a chance to respond and kind of try to bring people back to hey, this is, you know, what we stand for and, you know, you need to vote for us. Mm-hmm. So you were you were with Hochul and the statewide Democrats on, a, on election night uh, down in New York City. Um, what was the atmosphere in the room? Was it was it tense? And, you know, if so, how, how quickly did that change once once we started getting getting some results? You know, really, it wasn't tense at all. Um, a lot of her aides are they're not one thing that's very different for me covering state politics for so long is it wasn't the Cuomo crowd, Andrew Cuomo's aides that we've come to expect at these events. Some of them who reached back all the way to Mario Cuomo. It was a new crowd to mostly younger people running her campaign. Um, They invited a lot of their friends there. It was a a kind of a cool location in downtown uh, Manhattan, as opposed to usually in the old days, they would do it in the more staid atmosphere of a big uh, old fashioned hotel in midtown Manhattan. And they were they were very, very calm. I was really kind of surprised to see that. I don't think that they knew that they were going to win, but they were really pretty managing to really pretty much stay calm through the through the whole night and, you know, polite about it. And, you know, not being, you know, very uh, accommodating to the media, which we're also not used to from the Cuomo, from the Cuomo years. And, uh, you know, as the night went on, people got happier and happier. We're, you know, dancing to all the, the great music that they were playing. And, um, you know, it's really start as the night went on, you know, certainly the room got more crowded and people got, got much happier, but they were never, they, they didn't seem nervous in the way that, I don't know, I would have been if I was running her campaign, but they they didn't show it. Got it. Got it. And so to kind of dig into the numbers a little bit here, um, Zeldin campaign has has now conceded, um, but he did come away with the largest margin for a Republican running for governor since uh, 1994. Um, Are you able to elaborate, elaborate at all on where he found that success? Well, I think as we were just talking about the issue of crime, he felt a lot of success with that issue. And also, um, Hochul, you know, we know her from, from covering her, but the public doesn't really know her. She came in in August of 2021, just a little over a year ago, when Andrew Cuomo, who was very, very well known and somewhat of a polarizing figure, resigned in disgrace. And uh, she ran kind of a cautious campaign. She's also you know, she's from Buffalo. She's from Western New York, which in some ways is kind of like the Midwest for the New York City. She's not an oversized personality. She's down to earth. Um, you know, she's really uh, kind of well mannered, I guess you could call it. You know, she doesn't she isn't coming out with all kinds of, you know, quips and maybe some of the more rude comments that we hear from some of the the other politicians. And um, I think people didn't really know her. They weren't really, you know, they weren't as enthusiastic about voting for her, even though, you know, she has made history now by being the first woman elected governor. She just didn't really have a lot of charisma on the campaign trail and a lot of enthusiasm for her. Right, right. So, and kind of on the the numbers aspect of things, the the one figure I I hear about is um, in terms of a Republican running for governor that they need 30% of the vote in New York City. 
Um, and then to clean up upstate, which is, of course, a more conservative-leaning area, um, for even a shot uh, to win at governor, and this goes back to the, the Pataki years, I, I think, um, did it look like Zeldin uh, was trying to reach this? And how did that shape up? Uh, did he hit that 30% threshold in, in New York City? Right. Yes, that's right. I've heard that, too, from Republican operatives for years. If we can get 30% of New York City and do very well in the New York City suburbs, Long Island and Westchester and upstate. Well, Zeldin did not do as well in the New York City suburbs as he thought that he was going to do. Even in Nassau County, he didn't get as many votes as he thought. And more importantly, upstate Erie County is a very big county. Hochul, because she's from there, partly, she did very well in Erie County. So that that, uh, counted against him. But Zeldin's the first Republican candidate that I've seen in many years that actually campaigned in New York City. He was at a New York City subway stop nearly every week talking about a crime that had been committed there. He reached out to the Orthodox Jewish community, to Asian American communities who experienced a lot of hate crimes and racial violence against them. And so he really did try to make inroads in New York City in a way that he, um, you know, other previous candidates didn't. You know, when, when I reflect on it, Vaughn, I think for Zeldin, the difference between 1994 when George Pataki won the upset victory over Mario Cuomo and this year, Zeldin, if he were pro-choice, which he wasn't, he's anti-abortion. And if he were not uh, an election denier, essentially, I mean, he did vote to not certify the 2020 presidential election. If he were pro-choice and he hadn't been involved in trying you know, not to certify the election, I think that he, his chances of winning would have been very, very great. But in the end, I think those two elements were against him. I mean, George Pataki, though he kind of waffled around it a little bit in the early 90s, that's my memory of it. He was a, Pataki was essentially pro-choice when he ran in 1994. And that helped him as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I appreciate that perspective, too. I, this is I've been through now, this is my second gubernatorial election, um, the first following nearly as closely as I I have been. Um, I I guess, where do you you stack it in looking back at previous, you know, statewide races, any any other than, uh, you know, the the surge by, by, by Republicans here, any other major takeaways you take it when you compare to other statewide elections? Well, it was a close race and the closest one since 1994. And we're not really used to that. We're used to a governor getting in and consolidating power. I mean, Pataki did that after he got in in 1994. We had some hiccups, shall we say, with Governor Elliot Spitzer, who had to leave after a year. And that was succeeded by Governor David Patterson, who really took office at a terrible time. That was when the Great Recession happened. And then we had Andrew Cuomo, who consolidated a lot of power. So elections were, you know, we covered them, there were debates, but they weren't really exciting contests in any way. So what does this mean for Republicans going forward? I think it gives them some hope, but they, I think that they really have to take, you know, some distance from former President Donald Trump, who endorsed Zeldin. Zeldin tried to distance himself from Trump, during uh, the campaign, he didn't have he had a fundraiser with Trump, but Trump didn't campaign for him in the, in the final days because he knew it wouldn't help. So I think if they could carve a path that doesn't have such a polarizing figure like Trump associated with it. And also if they made clear, maybe more clear as Zeldin tried to. My personal belief is that 
I am against abortion and um, but, but I won't do anything to try to change the rules. But I think with the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, people were a little bit wary of that. So the Republicans, I think they show that the Republicans definitely have a path. Mm-hmm. They're not over forever. Got it. Got it. So we're, we're still waiting on a, a few races uh, yet, I believe. Uh, we're, we're speaking Thursday here. Um, but do you have a sense on control of the state legislature? Will Democrats ma- maintain supermajorities in both houses as they had in the last cycle? They will in the assembly, but uh, in the Senate, uh, the Democrats, they would need 43, no, 42 seats out of 63. They had 43, so they had one more member that needed to make a supermajority. Um, right now, the Senate Democrats are saying that they do have 40 seats that they've retained, but there's two seats that are still up in the air still a question over who's going to win. So they'll certainly have the majority, but they won't have the super majority. And, and, you know, a lot of that doesn't matter as much when they have a Democratic governor. If it were a Republican governor, they would certainly like to have super majorities to veto, um, to override vetoes of things that say there's a Republican governor, the legislature passes something. Say if it were Zeldin, he didn't like it, he vetoed it with a super majority. They could override that veto. Now they won't automatically have that power should it come to that. They would need help from Republicans. It probably won't come to that, but um, I think that it may pose an issue with redistricting if they have to redraw the assembly lines because remember all that court stuff, Vaughn? I think you remember that very (laughs) well. I I, I do a little bit. The resident (laughs) at state... since you're the resident state public radio expert on all the redistricting <laughs> arguments, um, if they have a super majority and they have to redraw the assembly lines, that would help them a lot. If they don't and they have to call on Republicans to help pass the new assembly lines, then that could really be you know, a lot, a lot of trouble and really make it difficult for uh, any kind of assembly lines uh, to pass. But that's probably... That's probably a topic for an entirely different podcast, right? <laughs> or entirely new one. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I guess. <laughs> so, other other right. other than that, uh, do you have any predictions on how the makeup of this legislature, paired with Hochul's mandate, um, may bring us? Uh, what may what will that bring us in twenty twenty three and and beyond with regards to um, the state legislature? Well, I. Th- think that they, the Democrats might not be as progressive as they were over the last couple of years, because uh, now they're going to be worried about hanging on to what's called the marginal seats. And those will be Senate seats that are in danger in the next election cycle of perhaps flipping to the Republicans. So some of the criminal justice reforms that they've done, obviously the bail reform and other changes that you know, were made of such an issue of in the election, they may not be going as far with some of these uh, uh, items and maybe not do as much of the far left agenda and maybe go back to the center and be a little bit more moderate. I think that's that's about the biggest change that I see coming. But but who knows? You know, I mean, like so many things can happen in New York politics and, and have in the last few years that it's really hard to predict what new drama is on the horizon. Well, I'm I'm sure you'll you'll be at the forefront of all of it uh, <laughs> in Albany following as things go wrong, uh, go along. 
All right. I've been uh, speaking with Karen DeWitt, New York Public Radio Capital Bureau Chief. Thanks again, Karen, for all your work. You're welcome. The city of Ithaca now has a mayor in place to fill out the remaining year of the term that was vacated by former Mayor Savante Myrick. Ithaca Mayor Laura Lewis will serve out that turn after a special election on Tuesday. Here to discuss the race is WSKG's Ithaca reporter, Megan Zarez. Thanks for coming on, Megan. So glad to be on the pod. On the pod, indeed. Tell so, give us a quick overview. Uh, we we did do do a, a quick segment on the on the Ithaca mayoral race before, but just give us a quick overview of who the candidates were in in this race. Right. So first off, you have the winner, which is uh, acting mayor, now to become regular mayor, Laura Lewis. Um, she was appointed earlier this year when, again, like you said, Svante Myrick uh, decided to uh, go off and head a D.C.-based think tank. She's a pretty moderate Democrat. She said she doesn't like to be in the spotlight. That's a really big depart from her predecessor, Myrick, and she was running to complete this one-year term. Um, it's also kind of interesting because uh, unexpectedly she was kind of competing um, in the general against a somebody who was courting the Democratic um, or you know working families vote. Um, that's Katie Sims. Uh, she ended up getting about 25% of the vote uh, compared to Lewis's 65. She is much younger. She's a Cornell grad, very uh, just feels similar to Myrick. Uh, she tried to run as a Democrat, but wasn't able to fill out the paperwork in time, so ended up running as a um, progressive. Uh, and then finally, you have Zach Wynn, a uh, Republican candidate. He, you know, because Ithaca is so heavily Democratic, he never really had that big of a chance. Um, but he's been showing up, uh, to his credit, at almost every single Common Council meeting, mostly talking about crime, Ithaca's struggle to hire police, and he you know, attributes that in part to the city's police reform effort. But again, there aren't a lot of Republicans in Ithaca. So, you know, he never really had that big of a chance. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, like I I was focusing this election cycle, focusing on some of the um, upper on the ballot races, things like the congressional race, the governor's race, um, even even state Senate that, um, you know, got a lot more airtime, you know, just ad buys, there was a lot more money uh, involved in those races. Um, how did that kind of interact with the Ithaca mayoral's mayoral election down the ballot? Um, and, and how did it compare to the last two mayoral races we saw in Ithaca? Well, like you said, national issues have been motivating people like crazy, and that was no exception in Ithaca. I talked to a couple of voters uh, on Election Day during this, you know, post-work uh, voter rush, and all of them, you know, I talked to this couple who had just moved uh, from Philly, actually, um, and, you know, they were saying they weren't all that familiar with the local races, but they were super, super concerned, uh, as I think a lot of other people were and said, um, about, you know, again, uh, whether or not um, the, the House, uh, the con- you know, these congressional races and how they would sh- shake out. And I think that brought a lot more people compared to the last two mayoral races. Uh, there really wasn't a lot of down ballot um, 
you know, benefits. Uh, and plus, those two races, uh, they were electing Svante Myrick, and he didn't really face a lot of stiff competition um, from other candidates. Uh, those were a lot smaller elections. The other interesting thing, again, is that um, you kind of had some of the drama that you might otherwise see in a primary race uh, between Sims and Lewis, especially because Sims spent a lot uh, had a huge get out the vote campaign in the in the uh, weeks leading up to the election. Right. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. I I, I understand Sims uh, really tried to run. I guess we could call it an insurgent campaign, an independent um, campaign that was more so aligned with you know, the further um, kind of left progressive activist folks. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's also very surprising to me, especially because this is just for a one-year term. It's finishing out the final year of former Mayor Svante Svante Myrick's term. Um, The third year was more or less filled entirely by Laura Lewis, who was appointed again. Um, But nevertheless, I mean, there was a huge... uh, you know, swell of support from some of the more left-leaning organizations in Ithaca. That's like the Ithaca uh, branch of the Democratic Socialists of America, Ithaca's uh, Tenants Union, um, and of course, uh, Ithaca's branch of the Working Families Party. Uh, Even though uh, Sims didn't have uh, backing, uh, you know, officially from them uh, either. But um, she also... Sims actually also ended up outraising Laura Lewis by a little bit. Um, And, you know, there were a lot of yard signs for a third party candidate given, you know, for a third party candidate. Uh, There were some flyers. Uh, Her folks were outside polling places uh, pretty much the entirety of early voting uh, and on election day, too. Uh, They did get a little bit of pushback for that. As for Lewis, she got a lot of, you know, she got just looking at the campaign contributions. She got a couple of donations from her fellow common council members, uh, but she didn't really do a lot of campaigning uh, outside of a couple of mailers, you know, just a few days before early voting started. Uh, And again, I think this sort of squares up with this, you know, desire of hers to sort of, you know, stay uh, behind the spotlight a little bit. Got it. Got it. So uh, outside of the mayor's race, I understand Ithaca voters also had a uh, a ballot proposition uh, regarding kind of the structure of City Hall. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that shaped out? Sure. I mean, that was one of two ballot propositions uh, that Ithaca voters uh, had to had to decide on. it, it dealt with the city manager. So this has been an idea that's been thrown around a lot for the past, gosh, for a while now. Um, and it would essentially pretty drastically change what the mayor's duties are going forward. It would take a lot of the administrative work off of the mayor's plate um, and give them more of a like a political role. They would have a vote on the common council and be able to, you know, weigh in a little bit more on that. And and some of the more administrative work would be um you know, carried by the city manager uh, through approval uh, from Common Council as well. And so that did pass overwhelmingly. Um, I think it was like 80 percent. Yes, uh, or close to that. Uh, the city says it's going to try and hire that city manager in 2024. So that means the next uh, mayoral election in Ithaca is going to be for a very different kind of um, different kind of job here. Yeah, yeah. Got it. All right. Well, I've been speaking with Megan Zarez, WSKG's Ithaca reporter. Megan, thanks so much for following the race. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And that is it for Politics Tuesday. Yep, period. 
we're done. I'm going to go get some sleep now, and I just wanted to take one final opportunity to thank you for listening. As somebody sitting here behind a microphone in a room by themselves, it's uh, incredibly humbling and and motivating to see uh, all the support for the podcast out there. I'll say we, we are continuing to talk here at WSKG about how to continue bringing you uh, the most insight into local politics and, and policy. If, if, if this is something you've appreciated, meaning the podcast, please uh, drop me a line. I'm on Twitter and, and Facebook. My Facebook page is Vaughn Golden Reporter. My Twitter handle is Vaughn E. Golden. Uh, or shoot me an email, uh, vgolden at wskg.org. And once again, thank you to all of our guests for taking the time, as well as our team at WSKG that has been so supportive of the pod. That includes Phoebe, Megan, Tom, as well as some of the -the behind-the-scenes folks like Patrick Holmes, who did our graphics and some of our promotional work, and Charles Compton. Once again, thank you, and stay politically junky, my friends. This has been Politics Tuesday from WSKG News.